Hey there, my name is Matt Lewis. I play Ron, the president of the All Valley Karate Tournament Committee on Cobra Kai. And you are listening to the first episode of Cobra Kai Companion. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion. My name is Peter, one of the hosts of the show, and today's episode is an interview with Mr. Matt Lewis, who you heard at the top of the show. And not only did we you know, talk about Cobra Kai, because that's why you're tuning in, but we talked a lot about what he has done previously uh, before getting into acting. You know, he teaches acting, well, he teaches First and foremost, he he is a, a professor. But some of my favorite parts that you'll hear about is a time when he was younger when he skateboarded and uh, also played in a band. So that's what I enjoy about doing these interviews is finding out more about the, the actors themselves uh, on, on the show. And he sounds like he, you know, grew up being a big fan of you know the movies that he references as well and you know some of the people that he has worked with and this is the episode hello hey mr lewis it's peter hey peter how are you i'm doing good how are you doing this morning i'm doing great thanks for calling yeah absolutely um do you have any questions for me before we get started I don't think so. Okay. I, I don't know if you've checked out any of the episodes. Basically, we'll just learn about uh, you as a person and be, before we get into talking about your role on Cobra Kai. Cool. Sounds good. Okay. Great. Um, I see that you have a background in uh, many things, actually, including theater. Uh, can you talk about like how you got into theater? Because I understand you also teach acting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, it's sort of the family business. Um, my dad is a theater professor, and he ran a theater program that he actually founded uh, in the early or the mid '80s uh, at a community college in North Carolina at, at Guilford Technical Community College. And it's a small two-year associate's degree program. But when he started teaching there, there was no program, and he started it from the ground up. And by the time he retired, almost 30 years later, it was a fully fledged theater program with its own theater and uh, facilities. And, and he was, he spearheaded the whole thing. And so um, when I was in middle school, he had just started that program and they were doing a summer play called the foreigner, which is a, a pretty classic contemporary uh, American comedy written by a playwright named Larry Shue. And he needed me to be in it. It was a small program. He had cast everybody he could. He was in it. And so he said, hey, this summer, do you want to be in this play? I kind of need you to be in this play. And I was like, no, that sounds awful and horrifying. Like, I don't want to <laughs> go to work all summer with my dad. I want to skateboard with my friends. And right. so, no, I'll pass. Uh, and then he came back a couple weeks later and told me, he, he was fibbing, but he told me that they had already made the programs and my name was in it. And they had printed off thousands of them. And if I didn't do the play, they were going to have to throw them all away and he might get fired. So he, he tricked me into being in this play. But of course, it was I had the time of my life. And so I, I started doing plays in a, in a college program under the, the tutelage of my dad when I was in middle school and high school. And so that's how that started. 
uh, and I studied theater in, as an undergrad, and I got my master's degree in acting uh, in 2012 from the University of Alabama. And so I teach theater um, as, you know, that's sort of my day job. I'm a part-time professor at Kennesaw State University. And then I've been here in Atlanta um, since 98, except for the three years that I went to grad school. And I've been doing theater for decades. But the tax incentive program that the state of Georgia provides to the film and television industry has caused a huge explosion in film and television work here. I mean, it's there's there's always been a little bit of work and there's been commercials and stuff. But now... So many things shoot in Georgia and in Atlanta specifically. And so really this past year, I've done more. I haven't done a play in a year. I've been doing more, more on camera work than anything else lately, which has been great. And I mean, I love doing it all. So, yeah. Yeah, congratulations! Um, yeah, I, I've seen some of your uh, work on uh, television here uh, on your listing, and um, very—I mean, Ozark, right? I—I uh, I haven't caught on to Ozark yet, but I hear season two is amazing. Uh, House of Cards, oh, obviously, incredible. yeah, you know, was a big Netflix hit. You know, when that came out, so yeah, you've done a lot of work here. Uh, I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned skateboarding. You actually skateboarded back in the day too. I did. I did. I skateboarded all through middle school and I met my first girlfriend and fell in love and never touched my skateboard again. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually, I've got a wild hair. I don't know, midlife crisis or whatever, but I got online a couple of months ago and bought myself a skateboard and I've gone out and skated just a, a few times. There's a church parking lot across the street from my house and went over there and messed around a little bit. It turns out that I was 15 a long time ago, and uh, <laughs> so I've, I've been I've been trying to like you know reteach myself how to ollie and, and the basics and stuff, but it's fun. Did you ever catch that uh, documentary? Gosh, what is it called? Is it something like uh, Dogtown and Z Boys? I believe it was. I did, I did, yeah, 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 yeah. That was definitely around the time that you was started? definitely in sort of the yeah. It might have been a little a little after that. Oh, okay. Um, this would this would have been like the like the mid uh 80s so this would have been like animal chin and bones brigade and Nottis and christian hasoy and that that sort of era of of the game i see okay those aren't names i'm familiar with but you know i'm a big fan of the the film um uh, lords of dogtown so oh yeah. No, yeah yeah bones brigade was like tony hawk and oh okay uh <laughs> yeah yeah those guys i've heard yeah. of him yeah up and comer, right? <laughs> he's got a few, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a few, exactly. few video games he's got. <laughs> now, you also mentioned uh, University of uh, Alabama. I, I want to give a little shout out to Miss uh, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Bradley Danger, who also attended. Uh, when she was on the show, she threw a little shout out to uh, Roll Tide. So I, I know I've heard yeah. of that. I, I know that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a thing. Well, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, usually, not always, but usually, theater kids and jocks in high school are in sort of two different universes, you know, and those, those universes cross over quite often as they should, but it's not uncommon to be part of a theater program on a college campus and see that the majority of the students involved in the theater program don't really care about sports. You know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just sort of the way it is. But it's funny at Alabama because their football team is so, so good to watch the incoming freshmen come in and see 
all of the rest of us that have been there for a while freak out when football season starts and for them to slowly become indoctrinated into excitement because it's just so on a home game day in Tuscaloosa, it's like, it's like Mardi Gras in new Orleans. I mean, just the, everything shuts down, the streets are filled. Um, and it's just this sort of 24 hour celebration sort of focused around a football game. But the Bryant Denny stadium holds over a hundred thousand people. And then they usually have, so the stadium will be full. And then on top of that, depending on, the opposing team somewhere between 20 and 60,000 more people just on campus. They don't even go in the stadium because they don't have tickets. So it's just this, it's really exciting, fun thing. Now is your guys at school, the, uh, something about a tree. Is there some kind of like tradition with a a really big tree? (laughs) I, am I mistaken? No, that's our, our you're close. That's our in-state rival Auburn university. Oh, I see. My apologies. Um, Oh no no it's 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 all good. Uh, it's interesting that you that you knew that. Um, yeah, there's a they have or they had these big trees and it was called Tumor's Corner. And for uh, decades, their tradition at Auburn, anytime they won a game, was to roll the trees, throw a bunch of toilet paper up in the trees. And then there was this crazy guy. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But there was this crazy Alabama fan, and he poisoned those trees. Oh wow! And then he called this famous talk show called the Paul Feinbaum program and told Paul Feinbaum what he did. And so the feds tracked him down and he got arrested. And I don't know, I'm pretty sure he went to jail for it. I don't remember what happened, but the the dude killed the trees and they actually had to cut them down not too long ago. They, they've replaced them with new trees, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty heated in-state rival. Uh, I would say it's one of the biggest in for sure. Yeah, the the reason I remember something like that is because I'm from Portland, Oregon, and so the Oregon Ducks are okay. huge here. Um, and there was sure. I forget what year it was, but it was definitely a few years back, and it was between those two teams. And I think Oregon wanted, you know, well, we we didn't make it to the nationals that year, but I know we wanted to play Alabama to kind of solidify, like, hey, Oregon is a legit team. And we just, uh, sure. I, I think we made two appearances to the Nationals and lost each time. But it's just one of those things like we could never get big players, <laughs> you know, in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> we have a bunch of vegans and, right. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe right. that's what it is. Sure. But we could never get the sure. the local boys who are like huge, like the Alabama guys. But uh, yeah. I'm sure we've made some people go cross-eyed with football talk. But um <laughs> you have <laughs> you have a lot of credit uh in theater. Uh there's a few that mm-hmm. really stick out, you know, from musical to uh, comedy and even Shakespearean. One that I uh-huh. would like to have you talk about is Ghost the Musical. Ghost the Musical. Um that is a, of course a musical that's based on a film and it was it ran on Broadway around 2012 or something like that. And it had a, it had an okay run, but it wasn't, uh, amazingly successful. Mm. Um, it was, it had this like sort of soaring rock score. Um, it sounded like a lot of like power ballads, like journey or something like that. The music was similar to that. And it, and it just sort of, uh, that style of music didn't really seem to fit the show perfectly. And I think that was one of the reasons why it, it initially wasn't so successful. But then the creative team went back and they retooled it and they pared those songs down into more sort of acoustic chamber-like uh, songs. 
you know, because it's about this, this love story, you know, right. uh, and there can only be so many epic power ballads about how you miss your dead husband. <laughs> um, and so they, they, they retooled the music and made it make more sense. And then what happens when a, when a play or a musical closes on Broadway or wherever premiered, eventually those rights will be released to leasing companies all over the world. And then those plays can be produced regionally. But if it's running on Broadway, you can't do that. It's why, like, you couldn't go to your local equity theater and see a production of The Lion King. It's still on Broadway, and those rights haven't been released yet. It tours, but... Um, so when the rights were released for Ghost, a local theater in Atlanta called George Ensemble Theater uh, chose to produce it as part of their season, and, and I got to be in it. It's sort of a sad story. It ended up being, almost positive, the last play that the artistic director of George Ensemble Theater got to direct. Uh, his name was Bob Farley, and he passed away suddenly. He was that season, it was a couple of years ago, was going to be his last season as artistic director before he retired and passed the baton over to the next person as far as him being in charge of that theater. And so I got to work with Uncle Bob one last time, and, and then he passed shortly after that. Oh, wow. That's, um, you know, we'll start to hear that. Um, the music, you talked a little bit about that. Was it original music that uh, they wrote for the... For the show? Yes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, when I think of Ghost, I don't think rock. You know what I mean? Just because of the, the, the Righteous Brothers music, I, I feel tonally it would be a lot of, you know, kind of like what you said, uh, acoustic. So I would have thought it was a, a lot more soft music or something. Exactly. And, and I think when they, when they retooled it and made it more like that, it made more sense. Right. What, what was the, the, the role that you had on that, um, on that show? Uh, I was in the ensemble. So that means that I had a lot of little roles. Um, but if you're in the ensemble of a musical or really any play, quite often those are the hardest roles to have because you're playing multiple characters. You usually got a lot, a lot of costume changes. Uh, you got a lot of random things to remember that don't necessarily have anything to do with the narrative, the, the narrative of the play. You know, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're the lead in a play, then of course there's this story arc that you can very easily track and you're in most scenes. So you just sort of jump in and start. And then a couple hours later you're done. But if you're in the ensemble, you've got to remember that, you know, after act one, scene two, you've got to go move a couch <laughs> and, you know, and that's just sort of a, <laughs> a random arbitrary thing. Uh, and then on top of that, and this is definitely the case in ghost, that if you're in the ensemble, then you're singing and dancing in most of the songs. So there's a lot of extra choreography to learn and lots of songs to learn and all that stuff. But um, so I was that. And then I was also I had a, a solo where I was um, the first guy that the main character sees after he dies. And he sort of shows up in this heaven ish place. And I got to sing him a song explaining where he was and what was going on. I think it was called you've got to let go now or, or something like that. But my scene partner in that, his name is Chase Peacock and he's a great local actor. He also, he, he has worked on Broadway. He was in the ensemble of uh, American idiot, the green day musical that ran on Broadway a couple years ago, or maybe like 10 years ago, actually. That sounds amazing. Yeah. 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 I would love to see something like that. Uh, American idiot. Um, now, what what type of production are you? Do you have more fun in? Do you do you like doing the musicals, or do you? Because uh, I saw that you also did a part on uh, Macbeth, you know. So is Shakespeare there? 
I did. I got to do uh, two summers at Texas Shakespeare Festival, uh, which was the, both of those seasons were amazing. And got to do quite a bit of Shakespeare while I was there. I really, I'm, I'm not partial or impartial to any of it. I really like working and I like the collaborative process of, of theater. I love, I love, and I also hate the fact that when you start a production, especially if it's a good one, you know, you make this really immediate family and, you know, you work really hard together for a lot of hours for a couple of months. But then when the show closes, it's just over and there's no, I mean, yeah, maybe somebody pointed a camera at it and made a video, but watching theater on a videotape is or on a video is terrible. Mm. Um, and you could even remount the play the next year and have the exact same cast together, but you're going to be different people in a year. Uh, so it's just never going to be the same. It's like this, you know, sometimes when it's great, it's just this perfect lightning in a bottle that you all captured together. And then when the play's over, you let it go and it's, you'll, you'll never see it again. So, you know, obviously that sounds sort of sad, but I also love the fact that when you start a project in theater, you just sort of dive in head first and, you know, make a family and try really hard to fall in love with each other and fall in love with the material and, and work as hard as you can. And, and that's just, whether it's Shakespeare or something contemporary or a musical or whatever, that's sort of, that's just icing on the cake. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I, I enjoy variety. If I, if I had to do the, much of the same thing over and over again, that might be not as much fun. Right. Now, again, you're a man of uh, many talents here. You've done theater, um, you know, as of late, you've been uh, making appearances in TV shows. What was it like being the lead singer of a rock band? In. It was a blast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had always been, you know, I was a little punk rock skate rat in uh, middle school and high school, which was a long time ago. Um, but, you know, I sung for a, a handful of bands and uh, I grew up in a town in North Carolina called Winston-Salem. And this would have been, this was like mid eighties. Um, we had this really, really strong uh, DIY punk and hardcore scene. Uh, we had our own club called New Start, and it moved around to a couple of different locations. But we had a ton of touring bands come through uh, and play there. Uh, a band from Richmond called Avail used to play there all the time. Shelter, I don't know, just a ton, Mighty Mighty Boston's. Tons of bands came through there. And then as the local kids, we had bands, and we would open up for them a lot of times. So that was something that I just sort of had done for a long time. And then I was in undergrad in North Carolina and uh, I decided to drop out and move to Atlanta with, with my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife and some other friends. And at the time I um, was sort of on the fence about whether or not I really wanted to be an actor. And I kind of decided to try and let it go. And so I started bartending in the sports bar and um, I saw an ad in a paper, this local band called clocked in was, um, their original lead singer had, um, just had a kid and he wanted to quit the band. Um, they weren't really touring or anything like that. They were just playing local shows and they had a good following. Um, but he decided that he wanted to let it go. And so they ran an ad in the paper looking for a new singer. And so I went and auditioned for him and, and booked the gig. And then, um, we bought, we pulled our money and bought a van and I, I would book these DIY tours for us and we'd play and some coffee shops and skate shops and backyards and, um, you know, and some clubs, but, uh, 
we toured for probably three or four years. We made it out to California one time. So that was a, I think a five week tour. That was the biggest one we ever did. Um, but yeah, and then we signed this, signed with this tiny label in New York called Radical Records. And they put out this one CD for us called Tied to the Mast. And that was a culmination of like three or four years work and has most of the songs that we wrote on that. I think there was a few that never got recorded, uh, but we were around, I was with the band from 2000 to 2004 and then we broke up. And then after that, uh, I was just working in this bar again and still not acting. And I sort of thought, man, I could blink and be 60 and still work in this bar. So I maybe need to figure out what I'm really passionate about and, and follow up with that. And so I, I uh, went back to undergrad and finished my bachelor's degree and started acting professionally in Atlanta while I was doing that. And then I went to grad school at Alabama, and then I've been back here working since 2012. That's amazing. That's a great story. Oh, it was great, man. I mean, I basically spent my whole 20s in a van with my friends uh, playing music. It was a blast. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounded like you did a bunch of stuff that you loved. So, you know, at least you gave your shot, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Speaking of shot, one of your earlier film credits here. Now, this isn't a film that I saw, but I remember seeing the cover box, Disney Shot Kennedy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was the first uh, the first real on-camera experience that I had. And there was a, a local guy who doesn't live here anymore, and his name was David Lawrence. And he wrote, produced, directed, and starred in this indie movie that he uh, wanted to do. He had this vision and he asked me to be part of it. And of course there was no pay or anything like that. I was in grad school at the time at Alabama, but I still had you know plenty of friends in Atlanta and that's where we shot it. So I just crashed uh, in a friend's spare room for a couple of weeks and or I think it was about a month. And we worked on this movie together. Um, it never saw the light of day. It won some festivals but it never got picked up for distribution or anything like that. And then I, I never really understood why, but David never really pushed to make it available in any way, shape or form. I always just figured at some point it would show up on iTunes or something at least, but it never did. So those of us that were in it saw it and like our parents saw it. <laughs> That's it. Nobody else ever saw it. The funny thing is, I feel like I actually have seen like a DVD cover box at some point. I feel like it was something that I saw like on a blockbuster shelf, um, you know, some time ago. Uh, because I just, huh. I kind of remember, you know, it, doesn't the cover box have like Mickey and some blood, yeah. <laughs> like blood shots and stuff like yeah. that? So the, the cover <laughs> yeah, box, I mean, I remember seeing it. So that's why I brought it up because, um, I've always been fascinated. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, the the film is about, but just be, you know, the shot Kennedy part. I've always been fascinated with that whole event. You know, I I seek out very many sure. documentaries about that whole deal. But then, like the the image of Mickey and like, I I don't know what it was. I think maybe just that evening when I saw it, I was like, nah, maybe not in the mood for something like this. But it definitely caught my right, eye at some right. point. So it's funny you say, you know, that it never got picked up because I feel like I have seen a physical copy at some time uh, at some point. You know, it, I, I haven't talked to David in years, and it could be that he, you know, printed some off or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I've still got my copy that he burned for me years ago, but it was a, it was a really funny sort of quirky comedy. It had a, a very sort of '90s indie feel, uh, even though we shot it in the mid 2000s. Um, but it was about this this really quirky group of friends that run a conspiracy theory newspaper. 
And then this evil rich guy, we've gotten two, two on to him. And so he buys the newspaper and tries to shut it down. And we fight ultimately unsuccessfully to save the paper. Uh, but in the in and amongst all those hijinks, there's a lot of really funny stuff and a lot of really sweet stuff that that happened with the characters' interactions. But it was about cons- conspiracy theories and you know the the underground network and sort of the radical '60s hippie sort of stuff. But it was it was a fun movie. I would love for people to be able to see it, and if it's out there on DVD, that's that's cool here. Yeah, I mean, there's a demographic for it for sure. I mean, have you considered just uploading it on YouTube? It's not my property. I see. It all belongs to David. I mean, and that's that's what I'm saying. Like, it seems interesting to me that that, that hasn't happened yet. I'm not really sure why. Because yeah. a lot of us worked really hard on it. Yeah. I'd love to see it. You know, I'm very yeah. interested in this project for sure. So, uh, you know, cool. we have each other's contact information. So if that ever comes to see the light of day, again, I would love to see it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Now, you've uh, worked on uh, a lot of uh, different shows, uh, a lot of which I, I have heard about, obviously, uh, uh, Dynasty, Nashville, Halt and Catch Fire. What were some of uh, your favorite sets to be on? Uh, Ozark was really cool because I got to, um, uh, had a scene with Jason Bateman, and uh, I've grown up watching his work just like my entire life. He used to be on, he used to do a bunch of sitcoms in the eighties when he was a kid. And I think he's only, we're basically the same age. He might be a few years older than me. I'm not sure, but I sort of grew up watching this guy work. Um, and so to, to meet him in person was really neat. And he was very funny and friendly. Uh, and that same day I was shooting Ozark. I got to spend a lot of, I didn't get to act with, but I got to spend a lot of time with, uh, Laura Linney mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, Peter Mullen and Janet McTeer in, just, just the the kindest, most down to earth people. Some of the kindest, most down to earth people that I've ever worked with. It was just like it was a really relaxed set, and they were. This was episode nine of a ten episode season, and this is their second season. So they were, you know, the ball was really rolling, and they were getting close to the end, and and so it was neat to be uh, a part of that. But I mean, really. Any time that I get to work, it's a great day. Um, I'm still, as much as I've been able to do, I'm thankful for all of it. But working as a, a local actor in Atlanta, a lot of the stuff that I've been getting hired for at this point is more like day player work, where I go in and help facilitate the stories that are being told by the main characters, which means that, you know, this, I, I just got to do a movie with Ellen Burstyn and I got to have scenes with Ellen Burstyn. It's a, a movie that's coming out. I think this year, if not this year, next year called welcome to pine grove. And I got to play her neighbor. It was great, but it was one day's work. And so the joke that a lot of, a lot of other actors in Atlanta and I are sort of tossing about with each other is that there are these yellow signs all over town that are pointing different productions to set and they've got codes on them. So it'll be a yellow sign with a big black arrow. And then like Cobra Kai is the code with CK. Mm-hmm. So if I was driving to Cobra Kai set, I would follow the yellow signs that said CK to set. I got to work on Cobra Kai for episode 10 was the whole week. And then I was there for one day for episode seven. So those days I got to follow the signs to work. All the other days I'm driving by all these signs on my way to my day job, you know, teaching at Kennesaw. So some days you get to follow the signs, some days you don't, Yeah, but the days when you do are, are, are good days, no matter what you're working on. 
Now, uh, I think that'd be a great transition into Cobra Kai. Um, so, you know, for those that you know may have forgotten it, it, it you know, it, it came back out uh, in May. So, you were in episode seven, All Valley. Uh, you are one of the board members, mm-hmm. Braun, and also um, the tenth episode, the fin- uh, se- season finale, which is uh, titled Mercy. You said that you were on set for episode ten all week. Yes. Yeah, they shot that for a week. And then on, uh, oh, because the, there was snow. There, there was uh, some weather uh, as well, right, for that week? There, there was, but they also, myself and my fellow uh, All-Valley Karate Tournament board committees have one small scene in, in episode 10 with Daniel when he, uh, his, 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 he and his daughter sort of convinced themselves that they actually should go to the tournament. Mm-hmm. And so when they first show up, we greet them. Uh, but it's a very short scene, and that's the only dialogue we had in that. But they had us in for all of the coverage for the entire tournament. So we're sitting. I see. You can sort of see us here and there. We're sort of sitting at the back judges' table with the iconic score chart that shows the the different fighters advancing through the tournament. We're back there the whole time. Did um, did, did you ever f- find it interesting that they never had a Johnny Lawrence uh, championship poster as well, kind of like they had Daniels? <laughs> Yeah, I, and I've seen, uh, you know, as the show's been out and these different, you know, your podcast and different Facebook groups and stuff have popped up. It's been really cool to see all of the heated, inspired discussions about all this stuff. At the time, I got to say, I didn't, it didn't register uh, that that, w- that that was absent. Um, but that's interesting that so many people have noticed that. I was just... I mean, by the time we came in for episode seven, I had, I of course knew the show was happening. I had auditioned for, I want to say three other roles that all went to amazing actors and, 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 you know, I'm glad that I got the role that I did. Um, but I, but I knew about the show and when you audition for shows, especially here in Atlanta, the, the process is, is almost always a self tape. So they'll send you, they don't send you the whole script but they'll send you like two pages or four pages or something like that. And then you just have a camera pointed at you and you have a friend off camera reading all of the other characters dialogue. And you just perform that little part of the scene on the tape and you email it off. And then hopefully uh, the, the process will advance from there. So having auditioned for these other roles, I had read parts of the script. Everything that I read was just hilarious and perfect and I'm a huge Karate Kid fan, and I just wanted this gig so bad. Um, so when when I found out that I booked the role of Ron, that was really exciting. Now coming in in episode seven, they had already obviously they had already been working on the show for months, and so and I knew that I had that we had this big scene with Johnny Lawrence and Daniel Larusso, which. So, you know, they walk in the room and they introduce themselves to us and they were both super gracious and amazing and relaxed and it was a great set to work on. But I was trying to kind of keep it together because it's like, it would be one thing to, you know, oh, wow, I have a scene with Billy Zapka. How cool is that? It's like, no, I get to talk to Johnny Lawrence and the Karate Kid. Like you're waiting for Luke Skywalker to walk in or something. I mean, it was just, it was, it was incredible. Yeah, they're um, kind of characters. Yeah, absolutely. And characters that I grew up with. And I actually got to, when we were shooting episode seven, I was sitting beside Ralph for a large portion of the day. I mean, I, don't, I think shooting that scene took almost all of that day. 
um, cause they did a lot of coverage, which was cool. They, sh- they shot it. It seemed to me that they shot it more like a film than a TV show. So they shot a ton of coverage and a, a ton of different angles, more than I, I usually see in a shoot for a TV show. So I got to sit with Ralph for, you know, a lot of the day. And, uh, he was very nice. And, and at one point in time where I felt like I wasn't going to annoy him or anything like that, I was able to tell him that, uh, the summer that the karate kid came out, um, my dad had gotten a new job and, and our family had to move to a different state and I had to be the new kid for, for the first time ever in my life. And so that summer the karate kid came out. And so that movie like really resonated with me and really sort of got me through, a a challenging time in, in my young life. And, and I was able to tell him that, and that was cool. Um, and I also still have the, the original soundtrack on vinyl. Wow. That's amazing. And I got, I got, yeah, well, I got, and I, I wore that thing out, man. I mean, I, <laughs> I loved it. Uh, but I got to tell him that too. And I remember he clapped me on the shoulder and said, my man. <laughs> that was cool. Now you said you spent, uh, most of the day sitting next to, uh, Mr. Macchio. Did he drink a lot of coffee? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think it was mainly water. Oh, interesting. Uh, I know that, uh, Billy was losing his voice. Um, and so he was drinking a lot of hot water with lemon and honey and he was just trying to get through it. And you can even, it actually facilitates the scene very well. But if you, if you are aware of the fact that he was losing his voice, when you watch him make that speech about what Cobra Kai means to him, He's, he's really hoarse. Yeah. Uh, and so he was trying to make it, make it through the day. And he had just said that he's, he'd said that the day before they had just shot this huge scene where he was screaming a lot. Uh, my guess, I don't know for sure, but my guess is that, that what they shot the day before was the scene where it's it, his car gets set on fire. And so he, and he's screaming, where's Daniel or whatever. And he's in a furious rage and goes to the Russo house my guess is that's what they shot the day before because he's screaming his brains off in that. Yeah, yeah, kind of. It does a little Batman, you know. Where's Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my favorite part—I mean, that's such a good episode. My one of one of my favorite things about that sequence is the fact that—and maybe I'm wrong—but I, I, I could go back and watch it again. But I'm pretty sure that when Johnny's car gets set on fire, that happens at night. Yes. And then the next time we see Johnny, he's just standing in Daniel's yard waiting for him to come outside. So I don't know, like, I don't know how long he's been standing there, but it could have been like, you know, just eight hours of rage waiting for Daniel to, to wake up and get his little espresso and see him, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's just so fun. It's so smart. That That's funny because I, I feel like most of the comments and discussions I've seen online, people are like, did, did he, you know, get lost, go to a gas station, look up a map, you know, because he's just so technologically challenged, you know, so he couldn't use a GPS. So I, I like, yeah, right. I, I, <laughs> you know, some others were like, oh, he's knocking down every door looking for Daniel. But I like the, the idea of him just standing there for hours, just in rage, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to see Daniel exactly. through the window. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you uh, speak about some of those other roles that you auditioned for? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm really happy with Ron because um, he, well, for one thing, he's got the, they haven't gotten in touch with me yet and hopefully they do, but he does, you know, have the potential to, to come back for season two, which would be really cool. The other ones were just sort of smaller, um, like one-off scenes, but I'm friends with most of the 
the actors that uh, ended up booking those roles, and okay. they did such wonderful jobs. Sure. I wouldn't want to, you know, put my brain over their amazing work because they they all did so well. And actually, uh, one of the guys um, I've seen at subsequent auditions, just for other stuff, commercials and stuff, and we've become like pretty good friends. So every time I see him at a in an audition, we'll we'll make sure to see each other out and say hi, and um, you know, just check in and and see you know what, what we've been up to work-wise and stuff now for, for the character of ron did, were you guys told like uh each role of your characters what what they played because your character has a gavel so i feel like he's like some sort of like the head of the board or do you have any insight onto that the way that it was written in the script ron is the president of the all valley karate Tournament. oh okay um, but then of course that's kind of the kind of the interesting dynamic there is that, you know, Ron is technically the one that one that's in charge, but then of course, Daryl is the one that is, you know, making things happen and calling all the shots. And, um, you know, there's sort of a, a minor, uh, humorous conflict there between those two characters. I love the whole thing about changing the color of the mat. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that was just like, I mean, that's why Cobra Kai is so special. I mean, you've got to be a, a super fan of karate kid to be able to go like that deep and insightful about the source material and, and then, and then be able to, you know, extend those ideas in new and interesting ways. You know, um, I think that's why the show's so smart. I think John and Hayden and Josh just did such a fantastic job putting this, um, material together. It, it really is. I mean, the world feels very lived in, you know, and this is only season one. Mm -hmm. They put so much thought into the writing and it's just, it's so rich. Um, now with the board, the committee, were you given a backstory? Like I, I know we don't spend too much time with Ron, but uh, is this one of those cases where you had to kind of, kind of come up with your own backstory and, you know, perhaps like how long Ron has been working for the committee and his relationship with Daniel and things of that nature? I think, I mean, the, the shorter answer is, is, you know, no, if, if it had been something that had really, that I had needed to know to help f facilitate, you know, the motivation of a line or, or what, what my character's opinion is about something that's happening uh, in the story, then yeah, of course. I mean, so for instance, when, and as an actor, that's usually how I approach any sort of material is that if something happens like Daniel LaRusso enters the room, I've got to have a really strong understanding of what my character's opinion is of Daniel. Um, same thing with Johnny, same thing with anybody else that I'm speaking to. So if I, and so obviously, you know, Ron loves and respects Daniel and looks up to him as a hero. And he's one of the, you know, icons of this karate tournament. I don't know for sure. I never really talked about it with the writers and it's not explicit in the script, but I always just sort of assumed that maybe like the all Valley karate tournament committee isn't their full-time job. So it's like a, like a volunteer or something, you know, like everyone has real jobs, but then you're also like your president of the Elks lodge. That's just like the side gig. It's your hobby. It's this thing you do in addition to whatever you do. So I just sort of thought that that was amusing and sort of looked at it in that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as we get ready to um, wrap up here, I definitely have some more questions. Uh, you said you spent uh, a lot of time sitting with Mr. Uh, Macho as well. Uh, what were your interactions with Mr. Zapka like? So cool. Um, 
both of them were so kind and just present and relaxed and uh, grounded for, for people like that to be in the industry as long as they have and have all these great, I mean, gosh, Billy Zapkin has been in some amazing movies in European vacation and just one of the guys and movies that I grew up with. And, you know, I grew up watching his work. And so, you know, obviously being around either one of them was kind of daunting at first, but they were just so cool. Everyone was so cool. Uh, they both went above and beyond anything that I expected of them in terms of just being friendly and gracious. Uh, at the end, when we were shooting episode 10, the only thing that they had left to shoot besides the tournament were the beach scenes. Uh, and I don't know if that was just the, the high school kids on the beach at that party, or if that also included the other stuff that they shot at stone mountain, which would be like all of the, you know, when Daniel and, uh, Robbie, Robbie are in the woods uh-huh. that I, I'm pretty sure all of that stuff was at the same location. And they were sort of, because of the snow, they kept having to delay those sequences. So they had that left, but other than that, that was going to be a wrap for a lot of characters. I mean, there are a lot of Cobra Kai kids that are in a lot of scenes, but maybe only have like one line or two and weren't at that beach party. So that was a wrap for us. That was a wrap for, you know, half of Cobra Kai. Uh, that was a wrap for a ton of people. And so on that last day, Billy was walking around taking pictures with everybody for himself because he wanted the pictures. And, you know, I asked him if, if I could get a picture with him and he said, yeah, of course. And I got a picture on my phone and he got some pictures on his phone. And I mean, stuff like that. Like he was just and and on top of that, Billy and Ralph were both always around. Um, there are other projects that I've worked on where when it's time, the actors will come and do their job and do their scenes with you. But then other than that, you just never see them. They're off. They've got a, a trailer somewhere in some sort of sequestered area and, you, you may not be allowed in, in that area, but Billy and Ralph were just always, they were always around and, and they were both, they couldn't have been kinder or cooler. It was, it was a really fun experience to get to spend all that time with those guys. You uh, reminded me of a, a moment on the, on the show when Daniel and Robbie do go training. And there's that one moment where Robbie mm-hmm. catches Daniel, you know, trying to do that one handed, you know, handstand or whatever. Did, and you mentioned sure. uh, Luke Skywalker earlier. Did you ever see that meme where they put the side by side of Luke also doing that one handed, <laughs> one handed handstand? And I, yeah, I never did, but I always took that as an homage to that sequence in Empire Strikes Back, which again is just another one of the many ways that that John Hayden and Josh just did such a good job with Cobra Kai and. They're just, I mean, the writing is just so smart. That's another perfect example of, of something that like takes some amazing source material, but then also, you know, modifies it and, and lifts it up in, into an even like newer and in a lot of ways, cooler thing, you know, to be able to, to, to wink at Star Wars in, in such a unique way like that. So smart. What are uh, some other projects, if if you could speak on it, that uh, listeners can uh, keep an eye on for that uh, you're involved with? You already mentioned um, w- Welcome to Pine Grove, was it? 
Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's a Ellen Burstyn movie. It's an it's an all star cast. I was I was on it for a day, and it was one of the last days of the shoot, and so everyone had wrapped except for Ms. Burstyn and a local actor that plays her grandson named Matt Barnes, who's a great actor and a very kind guy. Uh, everyone else had wrapped, but the cast is Ellen Burstyn, James Caan, Anne Margaret, Jane Curtin, Loretta Devine. Christopher Lloyd, Elizabeth Mitchell, French Stewart, Gaines, that's the dude that played Malachi in the original uh, Children of the Corn. Or even uh, Can't Buy Me Love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's this all-star cast. And Back to the Future, actually. Yeah, yeah. Scram, McFly, I'm putting um, in. I think it was his line <laughs> at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, that was the biggest thing that stuck out because I'm a huge Back to the Future fan. So that's pretty amazing. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a great cast. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, like I said, I was only on there for a day, and, and they had wrapped the day before, and it all headed home. But that's a, a project that, um, like I said, I, I don't know for sure, and they're not going to tell a little old me. I'll just see it when I see it. But um, I, my impression is that they're trying to crank it out and have it ready for this coming holiday season. But I could totally be wrong. I'm not sure. If it's not out this year, it'll be out next year. And then I also got to play uh, Natalia Dyer's dad, in a movie called Yes, God, Yes, which will be out next year at some point in time. Um, that was a really cool project. Natalia Dyer plays Nancy on Stranger Things. And I've got a short scene in the first episode of this last season of House of Cards. And uh, Oh, and then also, um, I'm uh, playing a teacher on a new Netflix show that'll be out next year called Raising Dion. And Michael B. Jordan is one of the stars connected to that project. And so that'll be out next year at some point in time, too. I haven't started shooting that yet. My first first time on set will be next week. And then it could the character could possibly come back for other episodes, but I, I'm not privy to, that, privy to that information just yet. But that's all the stuff I got coming down the pike. And then hopefully, uh, you know, I would, I would love to come back for Cobra Kai Season 2. I mean, I don't, you know. I don't know if there's any room in the storytelling for the All-Valley All Karate Tournament Committee, but if there is, that'd be a blast, too. And that wraps up my conversation with Mr. Matt Lewis again. I want to thank him for coming on the show and spending some time uh, talking about you know the work that he's done and, and future projects as well. And Mr. Lewis was uh, a joy to speak with. Uh, you know, there, there's a bit of a age difference. I don't think he's that much older than me, but I I feel we could have talked about 80s movies forever. And there was one thing that I wish that I could have spoken to him more about was uh, more about music because th there were some drops of other things like Green Day and uh, but also uh, 80s music. And I, I feel like that's something that we probably could have done uh, as a, as a bonus episode to his interview. But uh, yes, uh, thank you again, Mr. Lewis, for giving me the opportunity opportunity um, and thank you uh, everybody you know all the listeners for tuning in for supporting our show uh, one of the ways that you can also support us is by spending a couple of minutes and leaving a review on apple Podcasts or whatever app that you use if it does have that feature uh, leaving 
a review or a thumbs up or something to that effect. It really helps out the visibility of the show. Um, even if you don't want to leave an actual review, please leave a star rating. Uh, again, that will kind of bump us up just a little bit more. And if you want other people to find our coverage and join in in all the what we hope is fun, um, just spend a little bit of time just leaving the star rating. And uh, so thank you, everybody, for your continued support. We have an amazing group page. Uh, if you are not already in it, it's www.cobrakai.tv.amb group. And you spell out the words period. And if you want to follow us on the social medias, on Twitter, we are at Cobra Kai Pod and on Instagram at Cobra Kai Podcast. So a bit of a difference there and just be careful because it just was one of those things that one of the handles wasn't available. So I had to pick something else. But uh, if you follow us on Instagram, you know, we not too long ago, we did our second Instagram live quote-unquote takeover, where Mr. Voss Sanchez, who plays Nestor, the convenience store clerk, uh, he joined me for a little Q&A. And funny I say little because it went on for two hours uh, because Instagram limits us to an hour, but we were having such a good time and we were drinking Coors, or I was drinking Coors Banquet and he had a beer with me. So I can say that I had a beer with Mr. Sanchez, but there's things like that that we do. Uh, I believe by the time this particular episode is out, I would have also done uh, another Instagram uh, Q&A with uh, Miss Aaron Bradley-Danger. And also following that, we did a live watch of Cobra Kai Episode 3 in our Facebook group page. So just another reason for you to join uh, if you have Facebook. You know, you don't have to be active, but we share a lot of different contents and some of which are exclusive to the group. So that might be something you'd consider uh, in terms of uh, joining our group. And that's going to do it for now. And hopefully you subscribe to the show first and foremost, because we will continue pumping out interviews and bonus content to quench your thirst for Cobra Kai material. And if you also want to follow my other Twitter account, it's at Podstalgic, where I review movies. So that's going to do it for me. And again, I can't thank you guys enough for your continued support. And hopefully you subscribe to the show so that way you can get all the latest updates for anything that we release. Whether it's a previously recorded episode on another feed or, you know, original material that we cover for Cobra Kai Companion. So uh, thanks again for everybody's support. I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.